All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for, no- for joining me for another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have an amazing episode for you guys tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about astronaut whistleblower Clark McClellan's memoirs with Werner von Braun. Yeah, that's right. You heard of Werner von Braun and what he thought about ETs and Mars. And I have a direct source to it. How I have a direct source to this, I have with me an investigative journalist. Her name is Mary Joyce. And she knew Clark McClellan. And Clark McClellan was an astronaut. So the Clark McClellan, the astronaut, worked with Werner von Braun. They knew secrets about ETs, Mars. You're going to hear all types of stuff. This, you're, you're going to love this. Um, also, and she has firsthand experience because she knew Clark. And we're going to find out why, why she chose to release this information now after his death. Um, and what happened with him and NASA and stuff like that. It's going to be an amazing podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Mary Joyce has worked for two major metropolitan newspapers, the Orlando Sentinel in Florida as an artist and columnist, and the Oakland Press in Michigan as a Sunday magazine editor and feature editor. On the side, she's written magazine articles and books. Since 2008, she has been a main researcher for editor for the Skyships Over Cashier's website, which features a wide variety of cutting-edge topics, from UFOs to secret underground bases, from Bigfoot to Cherokee Little People. Mary has gone on from investigating mob stories in Detroit, including Jimmy Hoppe's death, interviewing people with the highest top top secret clearances about clandestine government activities. She even has had face-to-face interviews with whistleblower with top secret cosmic clearance who once worked within the top tier of the infamous international cabal. Wow. I'd love to hear about that. And she has the most, one of the most interesting, interesting whistleblower and ET Mars related websites. That's our, uh, I'm welcome Mary Joyce to the show. Mary, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I'm, 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 I really love this. I think this is so interesting how you became friends with Clark uh, uh, McClelland. I don't know if you want to go there first on how you met Clark or how him and Werner von Braun met each other. Like where, where, wherever you want to take the conversation. Um, why don't we start with the relationship between the two men? And then yeah. I can explain how backwards how I got into it. And uh, those two men uh, work together uh, on the Saturn One missions. And even though one was uh, mostly out in Texas and one was in uh, Florida at the Kennedy Space Center, they still got together. And um, Von Braun was a smoker. So when he would come uh, to the Kennedy Space Center, which is where Clark McClellan always was, those two became buddies. They were both interested in space and uh, deeply interested in astronomy, life beyond the earth. So they had a lot to talk about. And um, Clark often was in charge of the award ceremonies for NASA that would be held at the Cocoa Beach hotels. And uh, Von Braun would call him out and the two guys would find two lounge chairs uh, either by the pool or out by the looking over the ocean, but always away from people so they could talk freely. So this information came out in conversations that the two men had. And then uh, how did you meet? How did you meet Clark McClellan? Um, I lived on Cocoa Beach uh, between Patrick Air Force Base, which is now the new center for the Space Force. And I lived between there and um, Patrick Air Force, I mean, and um, the Kennedy Space Center. So I got to meet a lot of uh, people who worked at NASA. 
Um, I met Clark McClellan in uh, 1989. At that time, he uh, was at, a, at someone's home, a small house with just a few people, and he was sweating. He was really, really nervous. And what was happening was that the NASA was coming down on him because he felt that uh, the public had a right to know more than NASA was willing to share. And he was probably a little bit too vocal. And then one time when he was uh, monitoring the um, cameras from the space shuttle, he witnessed uh, two astronauts out in the um, cargo bay or the, of the space shuttle. And they were there with a very tall ET who was like eight or nine feet tall. Wow. Um, he's not... He's not the only one uh, who had seen them. They had a camera set up in the uh, crew quarters inside the uh, space uh, vehicle. And uh, the camera caught this, uh, another, or maybe the same one, uh, ET, again, eight to nine feet tall. He had to have been really cramped in there because um, those facilities are made for men that aren't, or people that aren't taller than six feet tall. So he must have really squelched down. Well, once Mission Control saw what the camera was picking up, they jammed the camera. So that was only viewable for a short amount of time. So there's interactions going on with the uh, ETs and our Space Force for a long time. Because again, these two men were working together in 59 to 1966. So that's a long time ago. Yeah, so those kind of things like, were known then, and we still don't know. I mean, we still aren't being told things. Yeah, we're not being told what's going on, like whether like there's like a secret space program. So these 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 were the things that, that what we're about to release tonight is the things that they were talking about back then. Like right, like um, like could you talk about what like Clark McClellan knew about extraterrestrials and Mars? I guess they would be Ron Braun's memoirs. Uh, let's see. I'll start. I'll start with Mars because he apparently shared quite a bit of information uh, with Clark regarding this. Um, he believed that uh, we would eventually have satellites or some way to monitor Mars in a significant way, and that we would eventually see ruins of an ancient civilization. He felt that there was um, life on Mars, you know, like hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, and that there are still uh, life forms, intelligent life forms living on the planet or underneath the planet now. Again, this is coming from a man back in the, let's say the 60s. Um, we, many sources tell us that there was some kind of a catastrophe on Mars. Either there was a nuclear war or a nuclear explosion, or it was impacted by the asteroid belt when it, um, um, you know, exploded. And anyhow, the atmosphere disappeared. So the Mars residents were trying to get out of there. And the, they, according to um, uh, Von Braun, they had advanced technology. They had the ability to do spaceflight. So some of them escaped to Earth. And one of the um, uh, sentences that kind of sticks out in my mind is um, he said that at least some of our present human culture may be Martians. So that's food for thought for a few people. That's it's pretty interesting. And he thought that the Nazis supposedly originated from a species from Aldebaran, right? 
no. The Nazis were involved with um, ETs from, um, from El Debalon. Oh, okay, and okay, they were okay. known as, okay. And they were known as an Aryan race, which we've all heard if we know any of the history of World War II. And um, he said that the um, Aryan race from Aldebaran came here thousands of years ago. And then they returned again in the early 30s. And they were assisting uh, the German armies and Air Force with weapons that were far ahead of those being used by the USA, Russia, Japan. Uh, and he claimed to have seen some of the ETs from Aldebaran. Um, when Clark asked him what they looked like, and I'll quote this, he said, taller and many have blonde hair and blue eyes. I have heard others of us Germans at the Kennedy Space Center admit that they saw them. Uh, he said that the, and we've heard this uh, from other places, that the earth is a nursery of many cosmic races. And he said the earth is being visited by other intelligence from other star systems. So, so that was pretty advanced for going back to that time period, especially since most of us don't know that now. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, and plus it's like, it's verifying some things that we already, that, that we're here, we're just hearing now. Like we're, that's just starting to come out that the, the, the Nazis were helped by a race from Aldebaran, but he already knew that, so, which is pretty amazing. Like, I wonder, what, what makes me curious is I wonder how they, they lost the ground war but they had all this advanced technology. Unless this is, uh, I, I, oh, trust me, I had a grandfather who served in World War II, and I love our military. So I'm very proud of America, and I'm a proud, I'm, I'm proud of America. But unless there was some kind of propaganda being pulled, and maybe the Nazis, I, I just wanted to be left alone or something. I, I, I don't know, like. It, it, it doesn't seem right because then they, they pulled the whole Holocaust thing and no one can forgive that. That was pretty bad. You know what I mean? But but it seems like if they had this advanced technology, maybe they would have maybe pulled off World War II. But I think it was like the thing is like when you have so many invading forces, like, you know, the Americans and Russians were closing in on them. They had no choice but to escape. And supposedly they escaped from Ron Braun. They did escape to um, Antarctica, right? Uh, base 211. It's called, I don't know if you ever heard this. Some people call it Base 211. Other people call it New Schwabenland. Um, but Von Braun uh, verified this, right? That's correct. And in, I'm, I'm pulling something up on the screen because when it gets to this topic, I don't want it to be in my, uh, my words. Uh, I'm going to give you real quotes on this. Um, uh, he said that several Germans I worked with were very open with me. They said that Hitler and Eva uh, did not die in the bunker, that history teaches us as fact. He had a doppelganger twin take his place. Now, I've heard that from other places. But again, when you consider this in the time frame of the uh, early 60s, that's quite remarkable. Second quote. They said these escaping Germans and Hitler were taken to what is called the Shangri-La of the Fuhrer Hitler. It was a base built for Hitler under the Antarctic ice cover. Yes, the Germans were also advanced in such subterranean construction techniques in the solar polar region under the ice cap. And a third quote, yes, under the ice of uh, Antarctica, the South Pole, was built into and below into the geographic continent. It is no doubt that Shangri-La, it, it is no doubt that 
Shangri-La. Was it a base forever and may it yet exist today? Bet on it. Wow. Wow. That's, 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 so that's verifying some things that are coming out today. That's right. Crazy. And I do, I, I'm sorry, I, I, was, I quit too quickly. There's one more quote. Later, I discovered through another German scientist, this is Clark talking, that the V7 was the code name for the German saucer-shaped craft that was developed below the solar polar ice cap, the same type that overflew Washington, D.C. and startled President Truman and the Pentagon chiefs in 1952. Wow. And there's lots of stories on that. You can find the old uh, newspaper clips of, I think it was, it was more than one day or one night when these uh, uh, ships were being seen. And uh, it was an act of uh, showing their, their, their capability. I mean, you, so you study ufology and I'm, I'm, I mean, you, you, I saw your website, you're very advanced in your theories for extraterrestrials and stuff. I mean, if you think about some of these incidents that the Navy's had that, you know, they wanna bring this, the, the, the government's bringing disclosure on, would you say that they're extraterrestrial, that they're Nazi, or they're ours? If you had to guess, what would you say? Uh, I don't think there's everything. We have vehicles that would pass as a UFO. We have very advanced flying capabilities that would be beyond what the average person would know about. Yeah, we like have, our secret space program, right? Um, yes, and then we have um, ships that come in from different places. Um, they would, they're coming in from different star systems. There's many of them. Um, I recently went through a, uh, a book. It's, it's more like a catalog of photographs of, I mean, of drawings of the different kinds of ETs. And there's lots of them. And so uh, many sources talk about Earth being um, a place where a lot of genetic engineering, a lot of experiments are done. Uh, there's some very unique things about this planet is we, you know, if you go to some of these other planets and they don't look very hospitable at all. This is a, a very wonderful planet, which we're sadly destroying in many, many ways, but it is uh, like a gem of the universe and it attracts the interest of many space beings. Well, it's, it would, I think, you know, like, I, you know, you, you said we have ships coming in from other places and, and, uh, you know, I don't know if they're in contact with our government or not. I mean, I think that every time that I've talked about this on my show before, I've seen I've talked about when extraterrestrials tried to make contact with our government, they always wanted future technology, from what I've heard. And uh, the extraterrestrials supposedly wanted us to stop our nuclear weapons. They wanted us to clean up the planet. They they so they started getting a hold of contactees. I've been having a lot of contactees on my show or you know i call them contactees some people call them abductees i mean there are people that are still going through a lot of trauma that's not a lie that that so There's, people do have traumatic experiences but a big message is being passed to contactees that the planet is being destroyed what are your what are your thoughts there's many kinds of ets there's the good the bad and the ugly and the good guys are not out abducting people and scaring the you know what out of them. Um, um, what you referred to initially and in, in really goes back to Eisenhower and this story comes in from many different sources. Um, Eisenhower was approached by a type of, um, I would call them peaceful ETs, who said they would help 
um, with our technology and help in different ways, but we could we had to get rid of our nuclear uh, capabilities. Well, we had just come out of World War II. Eisenhower was a general. He wasn't about to give up anything. So he would not cut the deal. So then a different group of ETs came in and made a deal with him. And it really involved an exchange of um, te technology for the right to abduct some people. Uh, as I understand it, it seems like a lot more abductions have gone on than ever was agreed upon. Yeah, so they, 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 really, they really didn't stick to their side, the Greys. Yeah, the Greys are yeah. shady efforts. No, you make a deal with a bad guy, don't count on it. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 uh, that that that's that's great. That, so you've heard similar to what I've heard, um, right? And also, let me explain another thing. Contactees generally are people who have not been um, terrified. They have not been abducted and poked and prodded. They have been contacted by ETs, usually not the gray ones, um, and it's not been a bad experience. Those are contactees. The adductees are the ones that are going through. Um, all this experimentation and poking and prodding. So yeah. I would not find those terms interchangeable. I think they're two different things. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, that's why I think so too. Yeah, the, the, I, I, I would totally agree with that. Like, it's um, it, it, like a lot of people say they're being contacted by Pleiadians that are that are good people and other races. And but I, but what, even even messages that, that I've heard people that were even being uh, uh, experimented on by the greys they were even told by the greys that we were destroying the planet so this is right. a big thing in, amongst the extraterrestrials they must really all of them ruining our all planet. of them they all are concerned that we are we're destroying this planet and they all have interest in this planet for many different reasons some actually really would like to help and protect the human race uh they uh, most likely are um, genetic uh, ancestors of ours do you think that could have been the Anunnaki? Um, they are not the best of the good. They're not the best of the ETs. Um, they were really um, very self-serving. Uh, they started doing genetic engineering purely for their own purposes. Uh, they wanted a race to do their dirty work. Wouldn't we all like to have somebody else do the work we don't want to do? But that's what they did. Um, but not all humans have been the result of the Anunnaki's. Um, and do you think all ethnicities like? For example, like I'm part Lebanese and Greek, so I'm like Mediterranean. So maybe I have a closer connection to the Anunnaki, or as somebody who's in like Germany or Norway around that place might have uh, uh, closer uh, to the tall whites or or the ones from Aldebaran or whatever. Do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, um, do you think our 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 ethnic heritage? connects to our ET heritage? Um, probably, probably. It makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And so if, 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 uh, if you're the creator of this little junior race down here and they've got some of your genetics in you, you're gonna take a special interest in them. And I, I think that's probably the similar kind of situation. It makes sense as to why we all look different too. You know what I mean? Right. And and the extremes like the Orientals, they look quite different um, than all the other races, really. Their uh, features are much more uh, reduced. Um, there, there's more uniformity in the way that they look. Um, 
yeah, I, I think there's different origins to our different species. I think so too. It's pretty interesting though. You know, when you, when you put the ET aspect to it, it's really interesting because then it, it starts you, it makes you realize that like we, we have a lot is we have a lot more mysterious life than what, what we are, uh, than what we're, um, than what we're used to. Okay. So here, here's a good question. Uh, let me see. Uh, uh, do you think Von Braun was working possibly on anti-gravitic technology behind the scenes in a secret space program all the while while NASA was showing us our rock while he was also working on rocket technology. You, you get a feeling sense for that? I don't, I truly do not know. I do not know. At some point there was um, a split off on the space program. There was the space program that was presented to the public. That's NASA blowing its rockets up. Well, rocketry is way behind um, the way travel is done throughout the universe. And there have always been people within the scientific community or with, let's say within NASA that are very aware of this and they're working on, or they have developed forms of transportation that exceed anything that were ever shown on TV. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you noticed when I sent you the list of questions of the, what I was gonna ask you today, I was listening to a lecture by Billy Carson. I'm sure you're familiar with who he is. He Actually, I'm really not that familiar with him. I okay. know what he looks like, but I really don't know much at all. He's an Anunnaki researcher. He started researching in the Anunnaki, and he made a book called The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, which is like the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. Like, he breaks them down, like, all, all, all the good meaning in them and everything. Well, anyway, he, he's, he has a Mars Anomalies group. Like, he, he studies Mars Anomalies really much, and he, he's very into space. And he said that there the the nasa is launching a cargo ship possibly to mars because he, he said they're launching these ships and he says they tell us when they're going to launch them and they go they go they leave for 720 days and then they come back and then george nori said to him where do you think they're going he said i think they're taking cargo to mars what do you think i mean but you think they do you think they might be able to do that through their secret space program absolutely absolutely um but i also think there's the possibility that the form of transportation uh, might be much more immediate than that, you know, with the ability to just transport from one place to the other. Oh, you um, mean teleport? Yeah. 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 I, and I, that may be an out, that may not be a sophisticated enough name for it, but I think they have technology that's in existence today that goes beyond what you and I can probably sit here and imagine. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've heard a lot. I've heard we have a thing called the looking glass, which is like a time travel device. Like, you know, I'm from other people that have been on my podcast and I, and that's a big, you know, that's a one, a big one in the alternative media community that we have this looking glass device, but I mean, I, I don't know what to believe, you know, I hear so much different stuff. Let me ask you this. What do you think is going on with, um, I want, cause you study Mars and stuff like that. Like, what do you think is going on with these people being uh, being able to? I don't I don't know if you've ever heard this on the news, but it's like I almost missed out on it because I don't watch mainstream news, and I don't watch mainstream news because of the fear they put out. But I also miss out on a lot of what's going on in the regular world. I really do miss out on a lot. So anyway, what I missed out on was the fact that these billionaires are taking people to space, and I wanted to get your opinion on that. Do you think they're really going to space, or like? What do you think is going on with that? Do you think something's shady or? Um, there's two different levels. If you're 
one, if you're talking about the guys that have just, uh, you know, Bezos and, and uh, who's the other one? I'm going blank on him. Uh, he, he owns the Tesla company. Um, no, no, he's the third one. Anyhow, these guys are doing things where people can go up and have the thrill of um, um, weightlessness with an ultimate plan of getting to the moon. People want to mine the moon. One of the things that I know that is there that everybody wants that we're getting low on is helium-3. Um, there have been many efforts by people to try to get in on mining the moon. So it could be, that could be a, a big motivation. Um, okay, because, well, I mean, because what they were saying is they took, they said they took like an 80 year old man to space and like they said that he was chosen. Like, and I figured like if they have a lot of shit to hide, which I think they do, what part of space are they showing them? You know what I mean? Because like, I don't think that they would be that open to just, uh, just take lucky people on a transport to space. I don't, I don't think it works that way. It's, I, I, I no, just, I don't think it works that way either. And um, there, we have people at the highest levels of power and control who are and have been for a long time working with the ETs um, for monetary reasons. And it's way beyond anything that we've seen recently. Um, regarding, you know, scooting up into space for a few minutes and coming back down. Yeah. Go, goes yeah. way beyond that. And so there's, there's, you know, we human beings get in trouble because too many of us are too motivated by money and power. Yeah. And um, that's, that's where we go wrong many, many times. Oh, okay. Can I ask you about this? The lunar, the lunar command finding non-human tracks on the moon and mining operations and that there were also non-human, I uh, took photos of some crystalline structures on the moon. Do you remember okay. that? Okay, uh, yeah, and that was, um, let's see if I can remember stuff off the top of my head. One of Clark's friends, who was also an astronaut, uh, confided in with Clark about what he had seen on the moon. And when they got up there with the moon rover, they had not been up there with the moon rover before. so. The rover hadn't caused the tracks. They found these tracks, didn't match the rover. Uh, so something else was already up there moving around on the moon before they discovered those tracks. They also, found, he said they also saw um, signs of, of mining operations or attempt, or, you know, exploring the moon. Um, they also saw, he also said he saw crystal structures up there. The man took a number of photos. Uh, of course, he had to turn them over when he landed, um, but they wouldn't give them back to him. He finally, I guess, insisted and he got one of the photos back. And it was one where he had taken a picture of one of these crystalline uh, structures. And when I say structures, we're talking in the order of a building, not some kind of something else. And it had already been air, airbrushed before uh, it was given back to him. So they continue to try to hide what's going on up there. So what do, what do you think possibly could be going with, before we even get into Mars, because that's what your specialty is. And, and I'm sure you, yeah, I, want, I really want you to get into that, but like, what do you think could possibly be going on in the moon? Bases, uh, contact with extraterrestrials, obviously, um, I'll, let you, I'll let you go from there. Um. All right, now I'm going to dig up some stuff. I, I would prefer to have information right in front of me so I can give you concrete information. All I can do in summary. I can pause it. Hold on. No, I can that's pause all right. There, there's people, 
there are people who were involved with uh, Navy intelligence um, uh, back in World War II, who at that time knew that we had the ability to fly to the moon and back. All right, that's World wow. War II. And that's coming from, uh, let's say, people that would be comparable to Navy SEALs today. Um, and it can be done very, very quickly. You know, we, we still think in terms of slow moving transportation and um, they can scoot around a lot faster than, than we think they can. You mean like with teleportation? Either, well, not only that, but also just the ability uh, to have technology that just gets you there quicker, a lot quicker without rocketry. Rocketry is just so, so kindergarten. You're talking about anti-gravitical. We, we, you're talking about the fact that we have, we have anti-gravitical craft and hangars somewhere, and they're, right. taking, they're taking that to the moon. And right. wh whether whatever's on the moon, whether ETs have bases there, or I mean, it's it, a guy came on my show and told me that the moon is inhabitable. But if a, a, a astronaut or someone that's in the secret space program is in a uniform and he's got oxygen and everything, then they could walk around up there for sure. Like, and, and uh, you know, probably have contact with extraterrestrials. I could definitely see that going on. Sure. I mean, the ETs have been on the moon for a long, long time. I don't know how long. I really don't. But um, they've been up there watching us from up there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think they're doing? What do you think they have? Did they just say it's just a base for them? Um, yeah, I think it's a base. It's pretty interesting. And if you, if you want to mine, if, you, if there's things on the Earth, let's say the minerals, big time then the moon's really close. So if that's your operation and you need to get stuff from the earth, it's an easy shot from there. And also you said that people can mine the moon? Like what, what is on the moon to mine? The only thing I can tell you concretely is that multiple sources have talked about um, helium-3 being on the moon and that we are running out of helium on this planet. And that would be one reason to want to mine the moon. There's certainly probably other things too. That's the only one I can actually quote, you know, say rather definitively. Now, did we get into um, why, why, uh, why Clark was erased from NASA by NASA? No, we didn't. And uh, this is where I'll jump in with my own story. Um, when I met him that day at someone's house, this was in 89, and that was when he was so distressed. It was because NASA was coming down on him uh, because he had talked too much or he, you know, he wasn't keeping his mouth shut. Uh, he also spoke to some people about seeing that tall alien on the monitor. Now his job, he was, he was, a, um, he worked in mission control. He was trained as an astronaut, but for mission control, if they had a problem up there, he would be in a position where they might be able to, you know, take over the controls or to fix a problem. So that was his his main job. Um, so anyhow, those are two things that uh, were going haywire for him. And he also was very upset because a very good friend of him, uh, his uh, Christa, let's see, Judith, Judith Resnick, was a very close friend of his. And she was one of the ones that was killed in the space shuttle disaster. So that had just happened rather shortly before I met him. So there was a lot of stuff coming down on him. And NASA um, 
essentially erased his, um, uh, his record. Um, and he was never able, he, they would blackball him. He was never able to get a, you know, a decent job after that. Um, uh, he really uh, struggled, um, but, you know. Yeah, that's a shame. Financially, and, and that was after 35 years with NASA. Wow, and they, they never gave him any kind of retirement? Well, there's a lot of people, no, he didn't get any benefits. Everything was cut off. And this is, this happens, and he's not the only one. It's happened to a lot of people who have talked too much or said too much. This is the reason that many people don't um, confess to what they know until they're really close to death. So you hear these deathbed confessions, and that's part of the reason. Not only are they not only are they concerned about themselves, sometimes the threat will extend to their family. Um, Jimmy Carter, for example, saw a UFO. He was wanting to talk about it, uh, and then he clammed up. So what happened? Um, either he personally was threatened, or more likely, his family was. So you just don't get him saying anything more than he saw something interesting in the sky one night. It makes me so mad because, like, why do they have to want to lie to us about all this? Like, why, you know, you know, people can say it's about free energy and anti-gravitical technology, but I also think it's it's all that. Plus, it's to keep a stronghold on this earth that they're they're you know to make make sure that like let's say for example Christianity stays in power because you know like i'm not just saying i'm not picking on them if someone's a christian god bless you i I don't care i don't don't care what anybody's religion is but i'm just saying they you've seen that religion over time you know uh hurt people in the name of religion like you know like when the spanish conquest went to when when they they took out the aztecs and they went down and took out all three of them it was pizarro pizarro um cortez and um and then columbus they took over the Americas and they did it with brutal force, rape and pillage. And they did it in the name of Christianity. And I'm not saying that's what Jesus was. Jesus wasn't like that. But what I'm saying is this religion has been used to hold a control fist over people for a long time. And I feel like that has something to do with this too. Like that they don't want people to know what's really out there because they want us to think that we're the only thing on this earth and that that that's uh, that we're supposed to feel special about that does that does that make there, sense? the um, catholic church um was adamant about um taking any indications of reincarnation out of the bible why because of control if people believe in reincarnation then they have to come face to face with the fact that they're responsible for what happens to them, they're responsible for their choices. If the Catholic Church is the ultimate person, well, then that organization is in control. And um, so there's a lot of evidence for reincarnation, both in um, the Bible, if you read it real carefully, and also by the early um, writers of Christianity, uh, who would be part of the apocryphal books, so to speak. And uh, they talk specifically about, uh, you know, um, reincarnation. So our our religions have been manipulated. Uh, Perhaps they've even been manipulated by the ETs. I'll give you an example. Um, Fatima is um, fairly well known. It's uh, where these three children were seen, uh, the Virgin Mary. They were seen um, the the sun coming toward the earth and all that. Um, That can... Holograms 
can are, are being done. They have been done. They're easy to do. If you've been to Disney, you go through the ghost, the haunted house, you see a hologram and it looks really, really real. Um, so there's a lot of things that uh, can control people, um, you know, just by using things like that. Well, you want to hear something really interesting. And I think you'll find this like really interesting. Like, um, and this makes me think of holograms. Like I have a, there's a guy in my state. He's a UFO researcher. His name's Stan Gordon. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's been doing it since like the Kecksburg incident. And he takes calls in uh, from people all over, all over the, all over the state of Pennsylvania. And, and, you know, it's a real active state for UFO and Bigfoot. Now, here's some of the reports he gets. He gets reports where, you know, a lady will hear some, uh, he heard, I'll give you an example. He, he, this lady, here's some, she has pop cans on her back porch. She hears some pop cans rattling around. So she goes outside with a shotgun because she thinks it's a pack of wild dogs. Well, it turns out to be, there's a Bigfoot standing there, but he has green eyes. She shoots right into it. And what does it do? It just disappears. That seems like a hologram to me. That's certainly a possibility, or they have the, that's a real possibility, and, or they have the ability just to um, dematerialize. They, I mean, that, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, it, 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 there may be another possibility. Those are the two that come to mind. I, 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 I don't know what else, but a lot of times these, these Bigfoots are showing up with UFOs, like, too, and the UFO can just dematerialize, too. You know, like, and it's it's very weird. It's very strange. Nobody knows as to why it's happening, but it's happening a lot in my state. Like, you know, more, more than you would think. Like, and if you if you listen to any interview by that Stan's done, he gets into the reports he gets because he's had a UFO hotline since 1969. Oh, he's ahead of the game. Yeah, he's been at, he's been talking taking people's calls since 1969 on the phone, and he's been uh you know, researching this subject, but back to what we were talking about, like, so uh, th th that makes me think that some of these things could be holograms and maybe they're doing it to get a reaction out of people or something. I, I, I don't know why they, they would do that. I mean, yeah, but there's also very real physical uh, Bigfoot. And um, I've done a, one of the books I've written is called um, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. And my whole purpose for writing that was because I had collected so much um, uh, information um, regarding really a more human side of Bigfoot. Um, and, and by that, I mean the good side of humans, not the bad side of humans. Yeah. Um, so we had, and, and I will reinforce something you said, where I am living here in Western North Carolina and in the mountains, we have UFOs, we have Bigfoot, we have Cherokee little people. We have underground bases. It's just a hotbed of all sorts of things that make you curious. Wow. Wow. Underground bases, too. That's right. Because I heard you did a, a book on underground bases. I did. I did. I, none of my books, it, I never do, maybe up to this point, I've never done like a sequence of books. Everything is like a standalone. I've done one on Bigfoot, one on little people, Cherokee little people, one on underground bases, um, and one on... Um, tangible evidence of Jesus. So they're all quite different. Well, what we, I have a couple of questions to ask you on your books then, because I didn't even know we were going to get into this. And I no, to I didn't think we were. I, I was all set up for Mars. And 
Oh, okay. I want to ask you about the tangible evidence for Jesus, and I want to ask you about the Cherokee Little People, because if you, if you could give me short answers, because I had a guest on last show, and we talked about Native American folklore, and he brought up the, Nat the Native American Little People, and it was one of the first times I've ever heard of it. So I was just wondering if you could get into that a little bit, and then, like, what evidence you found on Jesus real quick, and then we can get into Mars, if you don't mind. Wow, we are trying to cover a lot of stuff. Um, I didn't even know about Cherokee Little People when I moved to um, North Carolina. And then I began to hear the, uh, the, the, the stories. And at first I just was very dismissive of them thinking, oh, they're just, you know, like fire side stories. And one day I got into a conversation with a man who was a World War II hero. He um, was in his late eighties, uh, well-respected in this area. I had been a pastor too for I think 40 something years. He said, no, they're real. There really are Cherokee little people. And he had been involved in doing the early construction at Western Carolina University right after World War II. And just about everywhere they dug to create new buildings, they thought they were digging into virgin soil and they would find these little tunnels. And these tunnels were always in uh, real dense, damp uh, red clay. They were square cut with an arched top uh, and the arch top made them stronger. And there was just like a whole network of them they kept uh, finding. Uh, they also found uh, little skeletons uh, or skeletons. The one that was the most interesting um, uh, was actually in two parts. The professor had the skull on his desk as a decorative conversation piece. And he said it was a skull from um, an Indian mound. Well, one of the, somebody else picked it up and looked at it, said, this is not a child skull. It has all its wisdom teeth. Um, so that's kind of how I got interested in it. Um, I spent a, a many Saturdays one year um, interviewing these old timers who had been involved in construction at the university and just recorded their stories. And when I found out nobody had this information, that was the motivation for doing that book. And originally I just had their, uh, the interviews, um, but then I went and I did lots more research and got photos and maps and um, all sorts of things that um, really show you how real the little people are or have been. Wow, wow, that's amazing. And then real quick about Jesus, like what, 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 how did you, what did you, what did you find out about Jesus? Um, so much I'm trying to figure out um, first of all there is a whole lot of evidence that he was married um, and I, I give sources for all this kind of information uh, some great um, archaeologists and, and researchers from I think the Duke, Duke University um, they found the family tomb of Jesus and the family tomb the way the tombs are built is there's this, they, during the time of Christ, they would dig into the side of a hill, they would create a, a square room in the center, and they would dig into the three other walls and create these niches. So when somebody died, it was, a, it was like a year's process. First of all, they would seal them up in that tomb for a year to let all the, the flesh disappear. And when only the bones were left, they would collect them, put them in a stone box, called an ossuary and bury them in the niche. 
The most important person was always buried to the right of the entrance. And they found um, in this family tomb of Jesus, they found one that was uh, marked, I think it was uh, Jesus' son of uh, Joseph. They found one uh, for um, Mary Magdalene. Um, they found one that said it was one of, that would have been his child, all in the same notch or niche. And then in some of the other niches, they found uh, ossuaries that were marked with the names of other names that are well known in the Bible, including like Jesus' brother. Um, so that's the kind of thing I get into. Did they also call him Yeshua? Was his, was his name Yeshua ben Yosef or something like that? Or was yeah. that something that's made that's, up? That's correct. Oh, it is correct. Okay, I was just making sure. I, I, did, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I was, I was like trying to get the the full idea on that. So he yeah. was a real he person was, that existed. Right. But. I can't remember now. I think it was Greek. That he, that Jesus is Greek. I mean, that's a Greek word. But that you've got his name right. That's right. Yeshua ben Yosef, yeah. And mm -hmm. see, now it's crazy how how society can manipulate and control and twist teachings. And then you don't like people like us, they, they don't get the right. Well, I guess there's some law. There's some, I'm not going to down uh, religion. There's a lot of good in religion. There's a lot of bad in religion. I'll leave it at that. I'm if you follow the teachings of Jesus and forget all the churchy stuff, you probably will be okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That that's 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 excellent thinking. I, I, that's that's exactly it. It's true of the other great leaders. If you yeah. you know, so I was Buddha, reading. Yeah. For some reason, I decided that, and I'd read some before, but I read some stuff recently about, uh, about Confucius. The things he ta taught make perfect sense. The world would be better if they thought like, if everybody acted and thought like Confucius. There's many great wise people who have been uh, sprinkled throughout our history. Uh, there's not just one, but the, the, the basic truth is the same. I mean, the, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That comes out in many teachings or many schools of thought. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's, it's, 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 uh, it's how it should be. Like, they live by the golden rule, right? Right. Um, so do you want to get into Mars? Because you found some really interesting stuff, and I really want the audience to hear about this. Like, I, you really are an, um, an ace at Google Earth, right? Or, uh, like, from what it sounds like, you really know it well. Um, I'm not an expert, but and you don't have to be. I would encourage you and everybody that's listening uh, to begin using Google Earth as a tool. Uh, it doesn't cost a cent to download it into your computer. So if you have a computer, you can use it. Uh, you can uh, explore the Earth. You can explore the moon. You can explore Mars all using Google Earth. And it's quite fantastic uh, what can be found. Um, before I share a little bit of that with you, I, I want to quote a man who was the head of Israel's security space program for almost 30 years. Uh, his name was Hayam Ashid. And he confessed um, information in the Jerusalem Post, which is a major internationally recognized newspaper, back in this past December. And I just want to read like two lines from the article. He said, there's an agreement between the US government and the aliens. Another sentence, there's an underground base in the depths of Mars where the alien representatives are located and also our American astronauts. Um, 
that's coming from somebody who had that position for 30 years and had a great reputation. So I think we have to keep those kind of things in mind. He was the head of Israel's space program, right? Yeah, space security. Space security. Yeah, I, did, yeah. I didn't know they had a space program or whatever, but I mean, like, that's so interesting. Like, I, I believe it because um, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's like if you look at Colonel Corso's book, like, I'm sure you're familiar with Colonel Corso, The Day After Roswell. Um, everybody should read that book. That's a, that's a, a great read. Um, you know, he came out with almost like towards the end, you know, like he, I think he told Linda Moulton Howe stuff on his deathbed that, you know, like that he wasn't going to tell, you know, and uh, about Roswell, about, you know, uh, things in our past and stuff like that. And have you heard about this? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot more that's, there's stuff that's still coming out. In fact, within the next two weeks, I'll put up something else, um, uh, you know, where there's been a deathbed revelation. Anyhow, going back from, go ahead. What were, your, what were your thoughts on William Thompson, Thompson, speaking of whistleblowers? Like, he said that we were working with, he says that in World War II, that the Navy was working with a group of Nordics and that the Germans were working with reptilians. And then you get Al Bielik that comes out and says during the, the, uh, the, the Philadelphia experiment that they, they did work with different species of aliens during that. So it does seem like throughout a trail of history, the two people there, at least as Al Bielik and on one total different subject, and then William Tompkins still coming out verifying races of ETs exist and that we worked with them and stuff like that. William Tompkins is a, was a fascinating man. I've done a couple articles on him. I've read his book, the books, and he worked at the highest level levels at NASA. He worked with Van, Von Braun and DeBruce. Um, and he was involved in the space program, I think, even before NASA was technically formed. He's, the most interesting thing that he revealed was that there were these beautiful uh, Nordic-type um, secretaries that worked for NASA. But they just looked like beautiful Nordic regular secretaries. Uh, they were the ones that had this incredible knowledge, technical knowledge. And they would share that with our um, people at NASA. And that is the reason the space program actually developed rather quickly um, after uh, President Kennedy decided that we should go gun-ho into space. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, Bob, so Bob, I'm sorry, but if you want to go ahead back to Mars, like what you what you found, because I know you said you found a biosphere, which is, that's- Well, a- there's three things that I found the most, I found um, uh, two biospheres, one in the northern, um, near the South Pole, one near the North Pole. They're not small. Um, the one I found first was in 2011, and it was 652 feet long. And there's a tool with uh, Google Earth where you can measure things and, you know, find out how long they are in feet or inches or miles or kilometers or whatever. And then five years later in 2016, I found another one, uh, and this is just like scanning the planet, so to speak. And I found one near the South Pole. It was 10 times bigger. It was 7,800, I mean, over 7,000 feet long. And then I uh, um, was looking at the work of somebody named Brian Burstead. And he's an architectural uh, engineer artist who specializes in developing uh, space exploration concepts. 
He's done illustrations for Deep Space Industries, Inner Orbital Systems, the Mars Foundation, National Geographic, New Scientists, Mars Exploration Magazine. Um, and so in one article I did, I showed one of his um, renderings of a, a, a biosphere and put it right next to one of the ones I found on Mars. And you can see the similarity. Now, granted, the ones that I find on Mars are blurred, uh, probably deliberately blurred, um, but um, it, it, uh, it shows you that, uh, you know, it was probably developed here on, on planet Earth. The, the, the biosphere itself was developed on Earth, then transported to Mars somehow. Now, that, that makes sense, because I was going to think, like, how would they make it on Mars, you know, like, unless they have, like, some superior technology. But um, what did you think of, like, Andy Basaggio, if you remember him, and Andrew Basaggio, he came out in around 2009 and 2011, and he was almost going to run for president. And he had, he had um, time travel stories of going to Mars, supposedly, he said. Um, and he said that the, the, there were inhabitants there and that um, he, he, uh, he worked on a couple different projects. It was like the Pegasus project. And then um, it was, uh, I can't remember, the, the chronovisor was the time machine that he used, supposedly. And then they had another teleporting thing. Do you, are you familiar with this? Well, I'll tell you what, those kind of things may very, very well be true, but they're unprovable. It's just somebody giving you their story or their personal experience. They could be nuts, they could be telling the truth, but you can't prove it one way or the other. That's one of the reasons I've tried to focus on concrete things that are a little bit harder to dismiss. Yeah. So, when, you know, so when I find biospheres that saying, hey, something's going on on Mars and it's not ancient, it's going on now, this looks contemporary. Uh, I was really uh, excited earlier this summer when I discovered 27 entrances into Mars that were in a straight line spread out over 16 miles. And how does, I, that, well, how does that look? What does that mean? You mean like six, six, 27 different entrances into Mars? Like, what, what do you mean like that? Like by that? Like, what do you mean by entrances? All right, there are entrances that look like uh, entrances like a garage or into a warehouse, they're square cut. Oh, wow. And then they probably airbrushed after, right? Well, they haven't airbrushed them totally. You can see the tops and the top sides of all of, of all 27 of them. And I stumbled on that quite by accident. Normally you go to the, uh, you look at a planet, you look at Mars and you have the North Pole at the top and you kind of go either from East to West or West to East to kind of explore the planet. Well, I tipped it. I tipped it in so that North to South you know, I just switched it all around. And that's when I discovered these 27 entrances into Mars. If I had stayed in the other position, I probably would not have discovered it. Wow. The 27 entrances all lined up over 16 miles is a big deal. That is, that's a huge deal. That's a huge mm -hmm. deal because that means there's life, life going on there. Now, I'm just going to speculate a little bit. Do you think that there could possibly be a breakaway civilization there. I've heard of humans being recruited to go off planet um, to avoid possibly, we all know there were cataclysms on this planet. Do you think there might've been a breakaway civilization on earth, go to Mars to try to escape a, a future cataclysm? So breakaway planet, civilization sounds really severe. I mean, that sounds more dramatic than I would think 
just sounds too dramatic for me. Do I think that we have scientists up there? Absolutely. Wow, uh, that's pretty cool. And the other, the other piece of evidence that uh, really surprised me, again, I found it in Google Earth, and again, I encourage your uh, listeners to um, begin using it as a tool. Uh, and by the way, I put the coordinates on any of these things I find, I put it in the article so that you can copy and paste it, put it in the search bar for Google Earth, and you can find these things for yourself. So you don't have to be concerned that somebody has been um, photoshopping these incredible things. And like I said, there's three categories of things I found. Uh, the, and the last one is uh, I found two very large uh, spacecraft parked on Mars. And uh, Wow, are you serious? I'm serious, I'm serious. And wow. I, found, um, I found one in 2015, that's six years ago now. And it's, um, again, I can measure on with Google Earth, it's 3.6 miles in diameter. And it's sitting on the surface of Mars and it actually casts a shadow. So it's, you know, it's, it's quite clear that uh, it, it looks like a UFO and it has the raised part in the middle of it like many um, stereotype UFOs look. And then um, in December of this past year, I found another one and um, th there was this huge skid mark that went for almost a mile across the surface of Mars. And then this ship uh, finally just ran into so much sand or surface that it couldn't go any further. And so you can see where it rammed into, let's say, the sand, because that's what it looks like. Um, the skid mark, when I measured it, was uh, over 4,000 feet um, in length, which is pretty good size. And the object itself was 406 feet long and 367 feet across. Um, wow. It's, um, you know, quite, quite impressive. So between finding large, large ships on the planet, finding the entrances into the planet, and um, what was the third one? Oh, the uh, biospheres. That's concrete evidence that there is intelligent activity and life going on on Mars right now. And it's evidence. It's not where you just have to depend on somebody's story. Well, I, I'm starting to believe these stories now that people have told me of the space program where they said that they have bases on Mars. Like they said they have bases on Mars and they can teleport there or they, they go there on Solar Warden or whatever. And, and you know, I'm sure you've heard of, heard of Solar Warden. It, it's, you know, it's, it's a warden, you know, that orbits Earth and Mars supposedly. And, you know, it's part of our secret space program. And uh, I don't know much more about it than that. I pr probably should learn more. I I've discounted a lot of the secret space program stuff lately because it just seems like there's there's so much of it being put out on the internet. That's why I wanted to have you on because I, I want to get real stuff that's on. Like somebody could go on the, the internet and say, I was in the secret space program. I was regressed for 20 years. They did, they MK altered me and all this shit. Okay, that, that, and I'm not saying they're not, I'm not saying- They may be clear. telling the truth, but there's they may no be way to prove it. But I want evidence, and this right. is evidence. That, right. And that's the difference. You know, and, you're, you're presenting evidence, like, and that's what matters. Right, and then you can consider these other possibilities. Um, anyhow, yes, I agree with you. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, um, that's all the questions I had for you. Um, can you tell everybody where, tell everybody about your website, tell everybody about Clark's book, about your books, uh, where to find them, everything and all that, and the name of Clark's book and the name of um, your books and, and your website and all that. Okay. The website um, is uh, skyshipsovercasters.com. Skyships over, anybody can spell that. Usually the website will come up at that point. Cashers is spelled just like a cashier at the grocery store. Yeah, I, and I'll over, even put a link in it in the description. I'll put Skyships over Cashers name your website in the link. Right. And that's named after a, a mountaintop town called Cashers, where we first began seeing all these UFOs. Uh, we had no idea the website would grow and go into so many areas. So that's, we're still stuck with that name. Um, as for the books, we talked about uh, some of them. Um, it's tangible evidence of Jesus left behind for us to find. The, another one is Cherokee Little People Were Real. Another one is Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. And let's see, what was the other one? Huh, going blank on the other one. Clark's book. Anyhow. Oh, uh, Clark's book. Um, Space, the final frontier, I believe is what it is. Let me pull this up. Does it say secrets NASA doesn't want you to know on it? Let me get the whole title here. The short title is Space, the final frontier. And then there's like a dash, secrets NASA doesn't want you to know. And I will tell you real quickly that um, um, I hadn't been in touch with um, Clark and since uh, I met him for a couple hours back in 1989. Uh, suddenly, I just had this feeling that I needed to get check in or check base with him. I found out he had just died. He died in April of this year. The day that I started checking on him was the day that his book came out, which was less than a month after he died. NASA never allowed him to publish anything. And so he was giving his papers and stuff to a, a, a man uh, with the understanding that it would be published after he died. So I made this contact on the first day that the book was available to the public, which I kind of felt like I had been kind of nudged to do that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I, I had a really great conversation. I'd like to have you on again in the future sometime. Thank you. It was a joy talking with you. And uh, I, I love the website. It really is an amazing, so much information on there. It really is real disclosure. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good evening. You too.